Readings podcast. My name is Ellen and I'm the marketing and events coordinator at Readings. I'm here today with author Robbie Arnott talking to him about his debut novel Flames, which is published by Text. Welcome, Robbie. Thanks for coming in and chatting to me today. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks for having me. Um, so, just to begin, for the benefit of those who haven't had a chance to read your wonderful book yet, I'm going to ask you a, quite a tricky question. Could you give me an elevator pitch for your book? Yeah, F- Flames is a novel set in Tasmania that never uses the word Tasmania. And uh, a lot of strange things happen, and it uses a lot of different genres and voices and styles all cobbled together to create a coherent novel, kind of. Um, But at its heart, it's about a family uh, who really struggle to express what they mean to each other, and I'm not quite sure how to tell each each other how much they mean to them. So when something goes wrong, uh, things go really wrong, and it traces a journey across the entire island of Tasmania where all sorts of mad, weird and wonderful things take place. Excellent. I think that was a very good pitch. Having read the book, it it sort of resonated in my mind. Um, So one of the things that features quite heavily in this book is the natural world and those natural landscapes of Tasmania. Can you tell me about how those spaces, like the forest and the rivers, influenced your writing process? Was it a specific area you were were trying to write about? It wasn't any particular space at all. It was really the entire place. Um, I grew up in Tasmania and I've lived in different parts of it. And I've always found the natural world there completely captivating. And I, I don't understand cities at all. Like I live in a small one, but but I'm, I'm not ever particularly comfortable there. And getting out and going up and down a mountain or out into the water or or into a forest somewhere is, is just a strange, almost otherworldly experience for me sometimes. It's really hard, quite hard to describe. So when it came to writing a book... I wanted the place of Tasmania to be to be as important as any of the characters and I spent a lot of time describing it and a lot of time trying to come to terms with what it feels like to be in it and and it somehow came out into a novel. Um, and it's sort of, it's quite a different depiction of the Australian wilderness than you often see in literature now. So I feel like we get a lot of books that are about the dryness and the and drought and heat and fire, whereas this book is much more, it feels much cooler and much more about water and much more about sort of those dense foresty areas. Is it a conscious decision you are making? Not really. I mean, those things you're describing are very much mainland Australia, and mm. I, I read a lot of those books too and I like a lot of those books, but that's not what being in Tasmania feels like. It's not what Tasmania looks like. It's it's very, very different down there. Um both in terms of we, we talk a lot slower, but also because the environment is very different, you know. Um, if you go up into the highlands, there's this complete alpine wilderness and then you have dense, you know, temperate rainforests, you know. It, it's very, very different. And so I didn't consciously try to write it to be a different book than anything else. I just tried to write it to be true to what the place is like. And what came to you first? Was it the story that you're telling or the setting that the story takes place in? The setting kind of is the story. So mm. it, it, it kind of happened at the same time. Um, what came to be first was I was trying to write something very realist and typically Australian fiction because I, I thought that's what I should be writing and I just sucked at it. It was really bad and I realised. So I just pushed myself to write something different. 
um, something different and imaginative and strange and not quite like many other books out there. And I didn't think it would ever get published, but I just kept pushing myself to do it. And somehow it came together. It's really interesting that you say you started trying to write something realist because it's definitely quite a magical book. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of goings on that are not necessarily quite realistic. Yeah, I mean, no, there's there's lots of things that happen in the book that don't ordinarily happen in real life. But but I, I didn't want to write something where I had to explain why they were happening or why there were strange things occurring or why things were not quite what they seemed. I just thought I would push ahead and. And include them in the book and see if people bought it or not. Because you know, if it didn't make sense, people could always you know try and get a refund. Uh, but but if if it was enough of they know it's a novel, it's not real. So yeah, I wanted it to feel really strange and different because kind of where I'm from feels a bit strange and different. I love that idea that you didn't want to explain it too much because that was certainly one of my favourite aspects of the book. Is that in the family you have the father who's some mischievous fire sprite from ancient times, the mother is a human, but she is from this line of women who come back after they die and they come back as as sort of the natural environment and that, that that isn't really explained and that almost seems like more of a magical thing than than the father's um, being a god of some sort. Yeah, I wanted to blend all sorts of different imaginative tropes and things and and schemes and plots and characters that take place. I didn't want there to be one set thing that I set about creating a world for. I just wanted to blend a lot of imagination together. And the idea of women coming back to life after they've been cremated um, was mostly uh, inspired by the women in my family because they, they, well, my mother plans on being cremated and and they're all really tough women. Mm. And it would really take a lot to uh, keep them down. And I'm not even sure death would do it. So that's where that idea came from. And uh, for the rest of it, I just kept pushing my imagination to come up with new things and to work work within different genres as well and try to keep each chapter different and to keep each one feeling fresh and original. Yeah, definitely. And it's not the kind of novel that um, it, it almost is a bit fragmented. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. So basically when you get to the start of each new chapter, it all, often it feels like a new book or a new story mm. and it takes a few pages for it the main plot or the characters to weave themselves in. So, yeah, I wanted it to be feel really fresh when you get to a new page and think what's going on here and to hopefully be captivated by a new slant or a new story and then to have that feeling of satisfaction when, when the main plot starts to emerge throughout it. I don't know if it works, but uh, that's what I was trying to do. I think it definitely works. Oh, I think it's, it's definitely, it's, you know, it's very much of the environment and it's a ride through the environment, but it's also this... Like you say, there's so many genres. There's like you've got some noir in there, you've got your magical realism, you've got a lot of family drama and it all kind of meshes together and you don't really notice how it's coming together until I would say the last third of the book was when I was like, oh, my God, it's all the same people. Yeah, I, I, I guess I always planned on it working out, but I never had the whole book mapped out when I was writing it. I was kind oh, okay. of right, planned two chapters ahead of wherever I was up to with writing it because I wrote it quite fast. Mm. And... Um, Figuring out how I knew I wanted it all tie in together and I wanted to do it work that way. Um, I'm just really glad and in a sense very lucky that I came up with a way for it to work in a few of the different plot lines and chapters. Um, even when I wrote it out, I thought, I think this is coming together. <laughs> I wasn't sure. When, when you're that in the thick of something, you, you can't really tell. You can't even tell if it's any good or not. So I got the end. I thought I've got this great shaggy dog mess of a story 
where there's a few things that come together at the end. I think it works, but I just don't know. Um, and and somehow it got published. So thank you very <laughs> thank you very much to the good folk at Text Publishing. I think that we're very lucky lucky yeah. that it got published because it's a fantastic book. Um, did you did you always know it was going to be a novel then, or was it sort of several stories in your head? For a moment, I thought it might be a novella, okay, or just three linked stories. Um, and then I thought, oh no, it just feels a bit unsatisfying now. I think there's more to it than this. So a few weeks later, I realised it's, it's probably going to be a novel, um, not a really long one because it's only about 220 pages. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was never a conscious decision to sit down and go, I'm going to write a novel. It was just, I'm going to just try and make this story work. And however long it is, is however long it'll be. Mm. Um, it's quite a... Back to the point about magical realism, It's that's not something that we see a lot of in Australian fiction, which is interesting. I think that, like you were saying earlier, Australian writers, they're very good at realism and they're very good at um, at sort of the family drama and, the, and like stark landscapes and things like that. What sort of, did you, were you influenced by other authors who use magical realism when you were gearing up to write this book? Um, in some ways, yeah, yeah, I was. I, I'm a bit hesitant about the term and magical realism Mm. because that was invented by South American writers to try and help undo some of the evils of colonialism. So it really has strong foundings there with Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Isabella Lende and others. So I'd never want to try and think I'm using that as a form because, you know, I'm just this white guy. I'm not not using it for any of those uh, really important roles in literature. Um, I have borrowed a lot from different genres as well. It's not just magical Mm. realism. So crime and... And uh, lots of crime writers like Raymond Chandler. Um, there's a there's a chapter in there that is quite gothic horror, and I yeah. I read a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft, which I would normally never do, but I wanted really wanted to make that chapter feel authentic, so I, I read a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, in terms of the magical realism stuff, um, I, I really like the American Gods by Neil Gaiman. That's a wonderful because I wanted book. to give it a road novel sort of sense, and and so there was a direct inspiration there. Um, probably the biggest. Easily the biggest uh, influence on the book was Gould's Book of Fish by Richard Flanagan, um, which has this surreal, you know, completely different historical take on Tasmania's West Coast. And mm. it's, it's a fantastic novel. It's very famous, so I probably don't need to go on about it. Um, mm. But that made, really made me think I could do something different and imaginative with, you know, the Australian or Tasmanian palette of literature. Um, and other than that, I another big influence, influence on it was A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan who uses a number of different voices in her Pulitzer Prize-winning book, um, and that floored me too. I thought it's amazing how she's cobbled a novel, novel together out of a range of different voices and stories. I've never read that book, but every time I see someone reading it and I look over their shoulder, mm. I'm like, I've got to do it. Yeah, that it's bit, great. That bit with the PowerPoints, I'm just so intrigued. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really good. <laughs> also, um, speaking of different forms like that, uh, uh, Ryan, o- Ryan O'Neill's uh, first book, The Weight of a Human Heart, which is a collection of short stories, because mm. he's so inventive and used so many different ways. That was a bit of a precursor to my brilliant, their brilliant careers. That, oh, yep. That book that came out last year. But his collection of stories, um, The Weight of a Human Heart, was quite influential on me too because it's just so um, different in its approaches to storytelling. Mm. Um, one of my favourite things about this book and one of the things that sort of stood out to me the most is actually the way you write women. You you just write these amazing female characters who are super nuanced and, and especially super surprising, which is something unfortunately you don't get a lot. Like sometimes when I read books I'm quite disappointed by two-dimensional women characters 
that sort of just don't feel like they've been fully realised. Um, my favourite character, if I had to choose, is this detective who sets out to track down Charlotte. I think this is a book that gives a lot of time to characters who are tough, resilient women. Is this something you consciously set out to do to sort of have that those amazing female characters? Um, in a way, yes, but also that's just kind of how I ended up writing it. Like... I am forever disappointed by men and interested in women, mm. basically. Um, and I wanted to write more female characters and I, I crossed my fingers and hoped I could do it without just seeming like a weird guy who doesn't <laughs> understand women. Um, but I was just forever interested in them. So I find it I read a lot more male characters, you know, who, who deal with internalised, you know, toxic masculinity and mm. cannot express themselves. And I do have characters like that in this book, but I'm just not as interested in, in them as I, as I am in women who also have to exist within our culture. And I wanted to create characters who were, were surprising but also totally believable. Mm. Um, and that's where the idea for a really tough female detective came from because what could be more boring than another, you know, tough male kind of PI. That we see every yeah. second crime and I release. thought if I I can't just make make her a make her a, the character a woman and be done with that. I need her to feel real and believable as a woman even if she mm. is exhibiting some of those tropes and characteristics. And so I'm really I'm really glad you like that. Thank you. I loved her. She was just yeah. she was so captivating. Oh, thanks. I was quite nervous about that. And <laughs> and in some of the other female characters too, I I I just really wanted to give them life and give them voices. I just you know, I just wanted to interrogate who they were and what made them tick without going over-explaining everything. Mm. Um, so that drove a lot of the writing onwards. My reading of the... So one of the main storylines in this book is that Levi McAllister, who's a part of this main family, he is making a coffin for his sister who's 23 and so she freaks out. She's like, I've got to get out of here. He's making my coffin. Like, he's what's going to happen? And then he's kind of trying to find her. And I love this idea, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, that he's trying to put his sister in a box to prevent this cremation coming back to life thing happening. And that is what kind of empowers her to get away from quite a toxic situation. Is that my reading into it too much or is that something that you were going in with? No, I think that's just a much better articulation of um, <laughs> what I wanted to do than what I would have said. Um, basically, for, for the character of Levi, it's, it's all about control. Mm. He's a very restrained young man who who doesn't know how to express himself and doesn't know how to express his love and concern for his family. And like many men, all he knows how to do is take action and mm. to just seem to be doing something. You know, when there's a time of crisis and someone knows, you know, um, there's something wrong in a family and you'll see, you'll see a man mowing the lawn because at least he's doing something. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a really, you know, exaggerated take on that. And and what I wanted to achieve with Charlotte, his sister, the, um, was that, you know, there's this stereotype or there's this belief that, the women are more emotional and therefore being more emotional is a source of weakness. Mm. And I just don't think that's true. Like that, you see that expressed a lot of times in society. Like, oh, she's being hysterical. Oh, she, she needs to calm down. Um, oh, she's raised her voice. Mm. But I, I see having strong expressed emotions as a, as a real source of strength. So I wanted that to be evident in her character, to, to be able to, her to be completely emotional and to completely fly off the handle because it's necessary because these horrible things have happened to her. Mm. And for that to work as a source of strength for her as well, to not to not inhibit her or slow her down or to negatively affect her but, but to help her grow and to help her achieve things. Mm. And it's interesting that you say that about Levi, that it's there's a, there's a wall between the, the sort of emotional connection and being able to articulate that. When we look at the book, there's 
so the father, who's this ancient flame creature who um, takes the form of a man, from him Charlotte gets the power to actually, you know, have these flames come up from her body and control fire. But I think what Levi gets from him is this weird entitlement that he can just kind of, like, put things into action and stop things because one of the kind of quite disturbing aspects of the novel is that the the father uses these tiny flames in the minds of other people to remove their thoughts or to change their thoughts and that's actually how he wins over his his eventual wife is that were you trying to draw that link between those two men in that family yeah uh, in a way yes part of it was my imagination running and thinking well that that seems kind of strange and cool i wonder if i can Mm. write it and make it make sense and another one was to use this kind of really allegorical form of Manipulation, yeah, and control, and and this character who um, isn't really quite a man, but he does exhibit traits of trying to control women around him, mm. um, and he does this through these fantastical, unbelievable methods. That, but the results are kind of the same for what happens actually in our society. He ends up controlling his wife in a way she doesn't really appreciate until a pivotal moment, mm. and his son, who can't do the same thing because he's just a young man, still has that idea, like you said, of of being able to control people and being able to resolve a situation by taking charge and, and having others do as he sees fit, um, which I think is something that happens in our culture. And, and mm. I wanted to express that and reflect that while also sticking to my own goals of making it wildly strange. <laughs> I think that it almost reminded me a bit of gaslighting in a way that he's, and like sort of, pardon the pun, yeah. um, but it sort of reminded me of that because he's, by actually removing these memories, it's kind of like, when that happens in real life, it's like, are you sure? Like, you sound crazy. Did that really happen? It's kind of a, it is, is it is a thing that happens in in our in real life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's back to that that manipulating someone for, yeah, for trying to control their memories, and yeah, and it's it's a, probably a really blunt um, yeah. uh, example or you know take on it, but um, yeah, yeah. I think that definitely does happen, and no, I think it sucks. It definitely sucks. Yeah. Where did the um, where did that character of the father come from? It's such an interesting character. Um, oh, look! I, I spent a lot of time walking around a few uh, reserves and mountains in Tasmania trying to figure out how this character would work because mm. I knew I'd set him up throughout the book as very every now and then he's just mentioned or alluded to, and we know he's there's something going on with him, and he's not quite the man he people thinks he mm. is because for the first two thirds of the novel, he's a very very peripheral figure. Um, and then he comes into his own later on, and um, I, I really can't say why. Why I thought that he should—I don't want to give too much away—he should yeah. take the form he does. <laughs> Part of it came because I, I wanted to include some historical aspects of Tasmania, because I, I mm. anywhere in Australia, but particularly in a place like Tasmania, I don't, th- I don't think you can write about the place without acknowledging what's happened, mm. you know, all the horrible and horrors of colonialism. But being, you know, a white person, and I'm, I'm descended from convicts. I definitely didn't want to try and talk about it from an Aboriginal perspective mm. or from an Indigenous point of view. But at the same time, I thought I, you at least have to acknowledge it or at least you know, pay respect to what's going on. Otherwise, A, the book won't be true mm. and B, it's it's just lazy. You, know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to avoid the issue. So that was my way of, of trying to bring that aspect in and also um, sticking to the bounds of the book and you know, being different and you know, strange and having these unbelievable things happen. Mm. Something that I really loved, another thing I really loved about the book, the the list is just endless, is that um, even though you've got this fantastical 
character of the father, you've got the fantastical character of the mother, and then you've got the brother who's quite, I feel like in a different book, he might be more to the centre of it. Like he's got this kind of um, like delusion and and sort of obsession. But the centre of the book, the book is really Charlotte, the young woman. I really liked that. I thought it was... I, I didn't. I think if you read like a plot outline of this book, you might not immediately think that she's going to be the middle of it, but you made her the middle of it, and I think that's a really nice thing that you've done. She's a good viewpoint for the whole story. Yeah, yeah. Everything in the plot, uh, everything in the book hinges off her and what, what takes mm. with her. And the book kind of starts out. You think this might be her brother Levi's story because he yeah. starts off by narrating it, and you think this obstinate young man might, you know, learn how to change his ways and become a better person. Mm. Um, but that's not really what happens at all. Like um, he does change a bit towards the end of it. But but the book really does in, in different ways chart her progression from um, basically growing in strength and his progression through mm. getting more and more deluded and having a looser grip on things purely by trying to stay in control of everything. But, it re- yeah, you're right, it really does hinge off her and, and yeah, I'm really glad it worked out that way because I it's- think she's... More interesting than some of the others. She's far more interesting. She's very interesting. Yeah. And it's kind of nice how everything sort of – because as you said, there are all these it, – it, the story comes together in different parts and she sort of has a little, has a hand in each part, whether it's kind of directly or indirectly. And it's a very nice way – it makes the story feel quite holistic and quite um, – and, and actually quite realistic the way that it comes together. One of my colleagues and I were talking about this book and she was saying she went home – there's one part of the book, this is sort of an aside, but there's one part of the book where you have um, seals and fishermen yes, hunting yeah. alongside each other and she said she went home and, like, Googled it. Yeah. She was like, surely that has to happen. <laughs> I've had a few so people ask me that because <laughs> there is a chapter in the book where a, a man and a seal form a c- connection like a farmer and a sheepdog. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and go hunting tuna. And uh, and I've had a lot of people ask me, oh, whereabouts does that actually happen? <laughs> I haven't heard of that and I, ha- I feel really bad when I say... Okay, I made it up. It's not real. Um, it, what actually happens? People go catch tuna with fishing rods, and then the seals rip the tuna off the hooks, and everyone gets annoyed. Except the <laughs> seal, which has a free meal. That's good for the seals. Yeah. So I feel like I'm really letting people down when I tell them that. Oh, not at all. <laughs> it's just it just speaks to how well this book is written that people would actually go home and be like, "All right, I'm just going to Google like tuna fishing with seals yeah. to see <laughs> if it's a real thing that happens." Um. So, just to wrap up this podcast, I'm going to ask what you're reading now. Uh, so, I just finished reading From the Wreck by Jane Rawson, which floored me. And I, I'm quite glad I didn't read it while I was writing mm. Flames because it might have influenced me because it's, it's just so good. It's um, a wonderful book. That's one of my most favourite uh, Australian books recently. Um, I'm currently, and I just about two pages from finishing The Everlasting Sunday by Robert Lukens, which oh, was okay. recommended to me, which is a really, really nice book. Um, it's set in England in the winter in a, in a manner where uh, troubled boys are meant to go and leave. It couldn't be more different from the book I wrote. Um, Very different um, indeed. <laughs> really poetic, really beautiful and poetic language. Um, I'm really enjoying that. And I'm also reading uh, Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. Machado, I don't know how to pronounce mm. it, which is just brilliant. Um, you know when you get a book and you read a few pages and the talent just like hums off the page? And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it is incredible. I'm a huge fan of hers. I've had that book for months on my bedside table and I haven't got to it. So maybe I'll have to. Maybe yeah. this is the inspiration I need. Yeah, the first story, The it. Husband Stitch, it's, yeah, it floored me. Get you right in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've been listening to Robbie Arnott discuss his excellent new book, Flames, which is available from all reading stores and in our online store. 
You can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast on our website, readings.com.au, where you'll find news, reviews and interviews and information on all our current book, music and DVD releases. You can also sign up to our newsletter, The Readings Monthly, which publishes reviews of books like Robbie's. Thanks very much for listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.